Hello, this is Aaron Bounds, pastor of the Anchor Church located in Zanesville, Ohio. I want to say thanks for tuning in today. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you to live the life God called you to live. We're so glad that you are here, so thankful for what we feel already. Didn't this praise team do a great job tonight leading us? Worthy is the Lamb that was slain for us. I want you to lift your hands. I want you to transition your spirit to the word of the Lord tonight. God, we've come tonight to worship you. We've also come to receive from your word on this Wednesday night Bible study. God, your word is so powerful. We thank you for what you did on Sunday in this church. The lives that were touched. People have texted me and talked about they've never been in a service like it. We're so thankful for what you're doing. For the lives that are being impacted, oh God, we're so grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say amen. We appreciate Brother Eric and Sister Rachel Edwards and their wonderful children, Evelyn. Somebody said it's not Theodore, it's Theodorable. And little Claire, the other day she come, she came running across the, the foyer just about that tall. Pastor Bounds, Pastor Bounds, Pastor Bounds. I'm going to talk about make a good man feel good. That's all there is to it. They're an amazing family, so gifted, so talented. He's, he's a general licensed minister with the United Pentecostal Church. They've been attending here since September. They last, last Wednesday, he spoke to our youth. I heard so many raving reports about the impact he made on them last Wednesday night. And uh, we've been wanting him to minister to us for a while. We're so glad that he's here. So thankful for you, Brother Edwards. Would you come and preach the word of the Lord tonight? Amen. Would you welcome Brother Edwards as he comes to preach the word of God? Praise the name of the Lord. Take your liberty. Praise the Lord, everybody. What a true privilege it is to be here uh, at the best thing going on in Zanesville on a Wednesday night here at the Anchor Church. I believe that. And uh, so thankful to be a part of this great church. Give honor to Pastor Bounds. Thank you for the opportunity to speak here. Honor you, love you and your family. And love all of you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for taking us in. Loving my kids. Uh, we appreciate that more than you will ever know. We're going to go tonight to 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm going to read one verse, uh, verse 30. And then I'll let you be seated. And again, what a privilege it is to be here. 1 Kings 18, verse 30. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. One more time. Could we just lift our hands and open our spirit today? Jesus, we love you today. God, we ask that you would move upon our hearts today, move upon our minds and our soul. God, we ask that your word would be made manifest today. Let us not only be hearers, but also doers of the word. Speak to us in a special way, God, and we give you all the praise and all the glory. And let everybody say amen. amen. Thank you so much for standing. You, you can be seated. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. When I was in third grade, my teacher was Miss Vite, and my best friend was named Christopher. And Christopher and I did everything together. And I don't know exactly how it happened, and I don't remember the circumstance that caused it to unfold, 
But my best friend, Christopher, had some conflict with another friend of mine named Cody. And as friends do, I had to pick a side as to who I was with. And so my best friend, Christopher, is who I joined. And I don't know exactly the circumstance, but it was established that this is going to be settled during recess between my friend Christopher and my friend Cody. They were going to take care of whatever the conflict was, and they were going to settle it on the playground. And so I'm with my friend Christopher, and we are walking out onto the playground, and it was something out of a novel because on the other side was Cody, and what I failed to underestimate was how many friends Cody also had. I was by myself with Christopher. And Cody had a tribe of other third grade boys following him. And we walked at each other like a duel was getting ready to take place. And I'll never forget this, that as I kind of got behind my buddy, I was like, right behind you, man, you got this. He walked right up to Cody, and without even a moment of hesitation, cocked his arm back and punched Cody right in the stomach. It was like something I've never seen before. Cody fell over like he had been shot and laid on the floor motionless. And finally, finally, a teacher showed up. And was able to disperse everything, and I went on my way. Christopher got in trouble, as well as Cody, and I managed to dodge out of the scene. But what I will never forget is that while it may have appeared that Christopher was outnumbered, that was true, but never for a moment was he ever outmatched. No, no, no. He, he, he was outnumbered to be sure, but never was he outmatched. First King tells us, about how the people of God had come and they had turned their backs on him and they had become a broken land under rulers that despised the God of Israel and instead exalted the false doctrine of Baal. When seemingly out of nowhere, one lone prophet steps out against the ideology of culture and simply says, enough is enough. One man steps out of, out of nowhere. We, we don't know where he came from. We're not even sure who his parents were. There's no history that really records the early years of the prophet Elijah. And we're not sure much about him. But we do know this, that he did have a relationship with God. While we may not know his history, we know that he had a relationship with God. And chapter 18 tells us that the, cov that the governor... Uh, of King Ahab's house was a man named Obadiah, and he was supplying food and water secretly to 100 prophets of the Lord that were hiding out in this cave. But one man, one man, said enough. Enough's enough. Elijah steps out from obscurity, walks right up to King Ahab, and says, It's done raining. No more. We don't have a track record where Elijah ever prophesied before. We don't have anything that shows that he'd done this kind of thing before. It's pretty bold. Pretty bold, Elijah. There is 
not going to be any dew, no rain upon the land. Steps up, declares the word of God, and then he leaves. Elijah steps out of nowhere, prophesies, mic drops, and walks away. Delivers the word from God, and then peace is out. And as a result, he finds himself out in a place alone, except for the ravens. The Bible says, the Bible says this, that he drank from a brook and was fed bread and meat from ravens both morning and evening. Now, I'm not trying to judge anybody's relationship with God, okay? But if you have a relationship with God where birds are bringing you meat and bread morning and evening, I'm just going to go ahead and say that you're doing something right, okay? <laughs> just go ahead and keep doing what you're doing, all right? Okay, Grubhub to the next level. I mean, that was DoorDash extreme. He was obeying God. And as a result, it put him in exile all by himself. But as a result, he began to experience the supernatural reality of God. Obeying God put him there. But when he was there by himself, he began to see God in a way that maybe he had never seen before. Everything's going fine. The birds are coming, bread showing up, meat, water from the brook, everything's great. But then the Bible says that the brook dries up. The Bible says that the brook dried because there was no rain in the land. Who would have ever thought that Elijah's prophecy, that he stepped out, word from God, no rain, no dew, nothing, would also afflict him? Just when he started feeling comfortable, just when he started feeling confident in the things that God was going to do through him. Wow, that was a word from God. There will be no dew, no rain. Doesn't happen. Wow, that, God was in that. You ever had those moments where you're not sure God was in it, and then you realize, okay, God actually was in that. Has this moment, and then the very thing that's giving him sustenance dries up. God comes again, speaks to him again. Says it's time for you to get up where you're at. Time for you to move on to Zarephath, where I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Elijah is caught in this place where he had a great moment with God. He was beginning to grow into the things of God. He was beginning to feel confident in his calling. And now things are not working out like he thought they were going to. He's hungry. Now he's thirsty. And God is now moving him around, and nothing seems to really be happening. Caught here in the middle of this place, where he's not sure how it's going to end. But somewhere between a prophecy of judgment and the promise of fulfillment, God had a miracle in store for this little family that so desperately needed it. Right in the middle of everything that, was, that Elijah was going on, there was this miracle that was there. He gets to the gates of Zarephath, and he finds the widow woman there gathering sticks. And the prophet asked her to make him some bread or make him a cake. And it's, it's, such a, it's, such a sad, it's such a sad little story 
when you think about it. When there's this little, this little widow woman, and, and she's there, and she's gathering up sticks, and she's just, she's just, trying, to, she's just trying to get by. And, and, and I can't imagine what she was going through where she says, I only have enough left for me and for my son to eat one more cake, and then we are going to die. People are really desperate. One thing I realize now that I probably didn't realize when I was earlier is that people are all suffering at some level. And oftentimes you have no idea what people are going through. But make no mistake, people are suffering nonetheless. Such a sad story that, 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 that you find yourself here with this little widow woman and she's just getting ready to prepare their last meal and then die. But Elijah says, go ahead and make me one anyway. I don't think you heard me, Elijah. No, no, no. No, I heard you, but you just haven't heard from him. God spoke that even in a desperate situation, he still had the power and the ability to still sustain us. God's word not only has creative power, but it also has sustaining power. When he stepped out onto the edge of the darkness and said, let there be light, God did not walk out the next morning and say, let there be light. What he said was created, and then it was also sustained. Whenever God speaks a word, his power comes with it to also sustain what he has declared. He's able. He's able. He's able. It says, it says, no, I've heard from God. I've heard from God. Go ahead and make it. And I, I don't know how it happened. I can't describe it. It was the miraculous. But all I know is that when she obeyed a word from God, the meal and the oil simply did not cease. And what's really amazing about this story is that not only was mama involved in the miracle, but right across the other side as she's pouring out all of that oil, her little boy standing right there watching it happen. Her little boy, who no doubt understood the desperateness of their situation, who no doubt knew that things were bad in his family, who no doubt knew that they were out of everything, stood right there. And a little boy, because of a mama's obeying to the word, was able to watch the miraculous move in his family. A, a, a little child was able to see that God really does care about me, that God really does care about our family. This little family that doesn't seem to have any bearing upon the story is found with a sustaining word from God in their life. It shows up out of nowhere, standing right in front of them, and they get to partake of a miracle that they would have never been able to have if Elijah wouldn't have been there. It affects how our children see us trust God. Because he then had a memorial moment where he knew that God does move in the situations. It doesn't matter how desperate, God still is there. But here's the thing. Don't forget that during all of this, miracle moments, there's still no rain. God comes, speaks to Elijah again says, go to Ahab, and after three and a half years of a drought, Elijah comes to King Ahab. Once again, real bold. He says, this is what's going to happen. You gather the prophets of Baal, I'll be there. We'll go to Mount Carmel. 
will offer a sacrifice. And the God that answers by fire will be God. Pretty bold, Elijah. Pretty bold. Because the real issue that they were facing and that they were dealing with was two different belief systems. There was the ideology of culture, and then there was that of the living God of Israel. And folks, what we are experiencing today is nothing new. And the question that you and I must wrestle with is if we are serving Caesar or if we are serving Christ. Are we serving the world or are we serving Jesus? Because that's really, when it boils down, it's that black and white. Who are you going to serve? You will serve somebody. The question is, who are you going, who are you going to serve? And, and here's what happened. Elijah, I love Elijah. He turns this into a competition. Let's see what happens. You do it, and I'll do it. We'll see who wins. Anybody in here competitive? Anybody brave enough to admit it? Anybody, uh, anybody have those family members that you won't play board games with at Christmas time because you want to keep the peace and it's just not fun? Okay, yeah. Anybody that person that nobody? Okay, no. uh, yeah, yeah. I was at a Christmas party one time and I thought we were going to have to leave because it got that real over Monopoly. Um, Elijah comes and he says, "You build your altar. You kill the bullock." You offer it to Baal, and let's see what happens. The Bible says that the prophets of Baal began calling on the name of Baal from morning until noon, and they find themselves leaping upon the altar and dancing out and crying for a response, but nothing ever comes. And there's a part of me, there's a part of me that hurts for the prophets of Baal. Because while they were wrong, I do believe that they were sincere. They had been sincerely fooled by a false doctrine that had been taught to them since they were young. That's why we do not raise our children, but we train them in the ways and the word of God. Pastor, I think you say we, we raise chickens, but we train we train, we train children. We do. We do. Because it matters what goes into them. It matters what goes into them. Verse 27, the Bible then goes on to declare that Elijah starts to mock them. And I'm not sure how spiritual that was. But, but there's part of me that kind of likes it. I, I don't know how it happened. And I'm not sure exactly what Elijah was like over here on the sidelines. But he just kind of starts to holler out to him. He says, hey, maybe you should cry louder. Hey, maybe Bell's talking. Maybe he's on a journey. Hey, maybe he's sleeping. It's part of me that likes that. We see then. That by the prophets of Baal, while their efforts may have been honest, it's revealed to us that the motive of it was demonic. Because the Bible says that they begin to cut themselves. They begin to self-harm themselves. Trying desperately to get a response from a God that doesn't 
exist. And only a demonic spirit would ever try to push someone, would ever try to push a belief that somehow self-mutilation would ever be required in order for you to get victory over something in your life. Only a demonic spirit would produce that. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Yeah, yeah. We have a God that can be touched. Yes, we do. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. I like the way the old song says, it says he touched me. He touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. And now I know that he touched me. And he made me whole. All of this. And there's no response. No response for what the prophets of Baal are trying so desperately to do. And the Bible says that Elijah just begins to repair. He just begins, he just begins to go. And he begins to repair the altar of the Lord that had been broken down. Because before fire ever falls, a fresh altar must be built. First Kings 19.10 uh, tells us this. It says, For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant and thrown down thine altars. The children of Israel are the ones that have forsaken thy covenant. And they have thrown down thy altars. You know what that's saying? It was church people. It was people that knew who he was. It's people who knew who God was. It was the very believers. They are the ones that tore down the altars that Elijah is now repairing. He, he gathers those 12, those 12 stones representing the 12, the 12 tribes of Israel or, or even further back the, the 12 sons of Israel. He begins, he begins to pull together the, the family, the, the family of the church. He begins to pull all of that together and he begins to take that, that other bullock that was brought there and he begins to, to, to prepare it and to place it upon the altar. But, but just imagine why, why Elijah is here and he's gathering everything and he's starting to try to build back the altar that had been broken down. Imagine back here in the background, imagine this other other altar that, that the prophets of Baal had put together. Imagine this, this wasted bull laying upon that altar, something that had had so much energy, something that had so much time, something that had so much effort, that had the possibility to be something, but it was placed on the wrong altar. This, this now worthless altar back here and this wasted sacrifice. Why? Because they didn't place it in the right hands. It wasn't built to the right God. And so now all of the good meaning, all of the good effort, all of the good things that they were trying to do, that they could have been, now is laying back here, wasted and worthless. The blood of that bull mixed with the, bloods, uh, with the blood of the prophets of Baal is now here, and it's worthless. Wasted sacrifice. Because all of our, eth all of our efforts are worthless if God is not in the middle of it. The Bible says that, that he had 12 barrels of water dumped onto the altar in the middle of a drought. He placed something 
upon the altar that he couldn't afford to give. But it was only wasted if you didn't understand who you were giving it to. And Elijah prays a simple prayer. 1 Kings 18, verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all of these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and thou hast turned their heart back again. And verse 38 says, Then the fire of the Lord fell. His prayer was simple in nature. Let them know that this is your word, and let them know that you are God. Let them know that this is your word, and let them know that you are God. An appropriate prayer for today. Let them know that this is your word, and let them know that you are God. They were desperate for water, but God was thirsty for acknowledgement. He said, all I need is for one person to acknowledge me. And if they do, then my fire can fall on an altar that has been built and has been dedicated to me. Elijah was extremely outnumbered, but never, never, never was he ever outmatched. Because the altar and the sacrifice matter. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. The altar and the sacrifice matter. And it must be done in the right manner in order for the fire to ever fall. It's important what altar is built. And it's important what sacrifice is placed on it. Because when it's right, fire shows up. John 19 verse 16 would record the promise of a repaired altar and a sacrifice this way. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and they led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull. Which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. The rationale for using crucifixion as a mode of execution included two main goals. The first was to produce prolonged and extraordinary amount of pain. The second goal was to intimidate the population by presenting a barbaric public execution. The goal of that Friday was to put an entire end to this whole Jesus business. And by all accounts, it appeared that that Friday had been successful. And what was supposed to be the ending ended up actually being the beginning. For throughout the entirety that Jesus hung on that cross, being the perfect, sacrificial, spotless lamb, while he hung there, something else hung there also. Above him was a piece of wood with the words, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. That day there were two representations of the man being crucified. The first being his body and the second being his name. And what was created as a mockery actually established confirmation of just who he was. 
And while they may have been able to touch his body, the one thing that they could not touch was his name. Because neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Because there's something so special about the right sacrifice being placed on the right altar. It produces fire. Acts 2 verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were, with all, uh, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came from a sound from heaven as that of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Because it matters. Because the sacrifice matters. Because the altar matters. And it matters how it does. And God still responds. He still shows up with fire. Every time that it's done in order. Every time that the broken altars are repaired. Every time that we're met there with the right sacrifice. He still responds by fire. In 1 Kings, stand with me. In 1 Kings, even the stones were consumed. By the fire of God. In Acts 2, even the stony hearts were consumed by the fire of God. It does not matter how well intentioned we may be with our belief system. It is still only the spirit of God that makes the difference in your life. It is still the Holy Ghost that is the defining factor of everything that we are, of everything that we move, of everything that we do. It's still that without the Spirit, without the fire, our altars are worthless and our sacrifices will be wasted if God is not in the middle of it. So what we have to do, this is my charge for tonight, what we must do we must rebuild some altars that maybe, maybe, we have been the culprit behind the ones tearing them down in our life. I don't know what your situation looks like. I, 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 don't, know, I don't know what you've got going on. But, but what I do know is that God wants to respond by fire. He wants to respond by fire. He wants to be an all-consuming fire. In every area of your life. And so they're going to play here in a minute. But I think it would be okay if we would just all raise our hands. And if we could just open our hearts. And we could just begin to ask God to move into our situation. To move into our circumstance. To, to touch us in a special way tonight. Come on, he wants to respond to us today. Can we just rebuild some altars that maybe we've let go of? Maybe we've let them fall down and, and we just got to respond today. We got to say, God, I'm going to put you back on the throne, Lord. God, I want to rebuild the things that please you. I want to move my heart today towards the things that please you, Jesus. God, let your spirit move upon us today. God, open us up, God, so that you can move upon our hearts. God, let the fire still fall upon us today. God, we prepare ourselves a living sacrifice today that you could do the work that only you can. God, move upon us today. 
We ask it. We believe upon you today. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. These altars are open. If you want to make your way here, prepare yourself for Easter. Say, God, there's some things that I need to do. There's some things that I need to take care of. I want to rebuild it. I want to be pleasing to you, Jesus. God, help us. God, I want my heart right. I want my spirit right. God, I want your fire to fall upon me. I want your fire to fall upon my family. I want your fire upon my kids. Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.